But after you stand, clap your hands again. We came to church because we are in process of reaping the harvest God has sent us. Taking back my health, taking back my peace, taking back my family, taking back my healing, taking back my finances. Oh, I, I believe in that kind of God. Hallelujah, choir. If I ever go on the road, we get in a big bus. As you go and you remain standing, turn to Numbers chapter 20. I shall recover it all. And we're in the process of learning that. Numbers 20, please. I'm bringing you a word this morning that I, uh, at first when the Spirit drew me, drew me to it, I said, no, Lord, that won't bring a lot of shouting and hallelujahs and uh, uh, a lot of kind of stuff, emotional stuff. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find something else more uh, uh, spiritually charging. And he said, who's in charge, you or me? That settled the whole issue. And so I'm bringing you a word that is his word, but a right now word. Last Sunday morning, I spoke to you from the 13th chapter of Numbers. Last Sunday evening, I spoke to you from the 14th chapter. And this morning, the 20th chapter. Verse 1, please. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kaddish. And Miriam, this being Moses' sister, Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the Lord, con- pardon me, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up this assembly of the Lord into the wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you will bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Verse 9. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation and the animals drank. It is on verse 12 that the Holy Spirit drew my attention for His Word today. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Mirabah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. You believe that to be his word, say amen. Now listen, I I want this to be meaningful to you and to him. Reach your hands this way a moment, ask God to help me, so that I do his will, and I'll reach my hands to you. Father, thank you for your word. Come on and pray for me, everybody. God, I, I do not want to entertain, I do not want to exploit I don't want to have to fight a battle while I preach. 
But if I need to do it, it won't be against these people. It will be against the devil whom you've given us power over. And so, God, we are here in one mind and one place to be visited by the Holy Spirit. To be sharper and brighter and better than we were before we came. And your word is life and life abundantly. Thank you for it. And everybody say amen. And you may be seated. I need you to keep your Bibles open and now move to chapter 27, please, of the same book. Would you go there? All of what I share will not be on the screen. I'd like you to bring your sword so you can use it. Chapter 27. This is seven chapters removed from what I read to you a moment ago. And here's what's happened between 20 and 27. Thirty-nine years almost have passed between these seven chapters. Many thousands of Israelites have died. Because that was the bunch that when they came to the Jordan the first time, and God says, that's the promised land, the land of milk and honey. That's the bunch, he said, send spies in. I preached about it last week. And check it out because I'm giving it to you. That's the crowd that says we can't do it. Even God says we can even though God done many miracles, we can't do it. There are too many giants, etc., etc. And God says, because of your doubting, groaning, mumbling, lack of believing ways, I'm going to cause you to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Everybody 20 years old and older from this generation will die in the desert. Only those 20 and younger, except for Joshua and Caleb, will go into land. Chapter 27 now is also the time of Moses' departure. Look at verse 12. Chapter 27, now the Lord said to Moses, go up to this Mount Abarim and see the land which I've given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. Verse 14, for in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you, Moses, rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. There are the waters of Mirabah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. God says to Moses, you're not going in. I suppose... That this was one of the saddest days of his life. Moses had been appointed by God to rescue the people of Israel out of Egypt and to bring them to the promised land. And he was doing it. He had spent 40 long years, church, leading them through the desert. In that process, he had gone up to the mountain of God where he met face to face with God. And God gave him the Ten Commandments. Moses, for the most part of his leadership and his life, had been a commendable and faithful leader. And in chapter 20, which I ask you to go back to now, chapter 20, he had just put up with the complaints of the rebellious people one more time. And now God spoke these words, these few words to Moses, and it must have hurt him deeply. God says, you will not bring this community of a million and a half people into the land I give them. Wow. 
I have read this book of Numbers over 20 times. Every time I have read it, I have wondered about this. What a severe judgment for such a good man. Why? I I thought to myself, he did all the work Moses did to bring these folks to where they are now. And God says another person would bring him into the promised land, not you. It didn't seem fair to me. It didn't seem fair. And even his resurrection. And God, we do this in remembrance of him. We do this to remind us that his finished work on Calvary is more than enough for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Let's eat this now. Even you new believers. That's an act of faith. Eating to Moses. Because from the first time God told him he's not going in to the time of chapter 27 where he says, look, you're not going in. I know Moses knew it wasn't fair or felt like it wasn't fair. He had prayed three separate times to God. Please change your mind and let me go in. And God says, after the third time, I'll hear no more of it. And so the Holy Spirit causes me to look at what was so major a problem that caused God to respond like he did. It is a sin that sometimes is part of who we are and how we live also. Not just restricted to Moses. This sin over which God deals with Moses may sometimes lie hidden so deep within us we don't even know it's there. It is a sin which prevents us from experiencing the joy of our salvation. It is a sin that often will keep us from crossing over our Jordan into the promised land God wants to bless us with today. I am quite convinced that Moses would enter into the promised land of heaven. He made heaven. But he would not experience the joy of the promises of God here on earth in the promised land that the others would go in. This sin, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, may not prevent you and I from going into heaven. But we too will not experience the taste of heaven and the joy and the peace of our salvation today if we let it rule in our lives. This this sin of which God so intensely dealt with Moses, the sin of anger, can sometimes make our living here and now like a living hell. Have you ever been angry at someone? Are you angry at anybody today? Don't raise your hands. And I sure hope it ain't me. If you're like me, however, you may be slow to confess your anger. But our words at times, our tone of voice at times, and the things that we do often so easily betray and expose the sin. I have a book in my library given to me by my daughter some years ago from one of my most favorite authors. It continues to be one of my favorite authors, and that's Chuck Swindoll. 
Jack Swindoll has written a series of books on Old Testament and New Testament characters, personalities, and one of which is Moses. The name of Chuck Swindoll's book is Moses, a Man of Selfless Dedication. And before I tell you what Chuck Swindoll says about this chapter, let me say this to you, that I very much revere and honor Moses. I very much realize that I can't even come close right now to the kind of man of God he was. So, so while I'm lifting up for you a negative part of his life, It doesn't take away from the fact that he was a man of God, except to say this, that God had a reason for putting it in the book so that we could read it, so we could avoid Moses' disappointment. Chuck Swindoll says that there's some rather interesting insights on the subject of anger. He tells us that psychologists have done many in-depth studies on the subject of anger, And while they've come up with no guaranteed answers for the problem, because we all know there's no ultimate answer to anything aside from the Lord Jesus Christ, they, psychologists, have helped us to analyze the emotional attributes of anger. So out of of the uh, knowledge of Chuck Swindoll, I'm going to borrow this, this phase of this lesson so that I can learn and you can learn too. We're told that anger rises from along five steps each step more intense than the other. Anger, number one, we are told, begins with mild irritation. This stage is marked by uneasiness. It's usually brought on by unpleasant disturbances. For example, irritation may occur when you come into traffic and it's starting to jam up and all the lanes are looking like it's going to be blocked and You're hoping it's only a mile ahead, but when you get a mile ahead, it's more tight, and you're thinking, I'm going to be 30 minutes, an hour late. Mild irritation begins to brew. Mild irritation is like trying to take care of kids and raise a bunch of kids in too small a house with too loud kids. Mild irritation. That can lead to indignation, a deeper level of intensity. Indignation is kind of described like this. It is a reaction to something that seems unfair or unreasonable. A lot of times it's expressed in uh, what you see in sporting events. You remember McEnroe? Remember the tennis player? Is that right? McEnroe or Macaroni? You remember him? Always had something to say to the ref. Uh, Indignation is what you will see tonight on television during the Super Bowl. When somebody will think that the ref was wrong and unreasonable and they'll throw something on the field. I I hope they don't, but that's what you see. Uh, Here's the third level. It's wrath. Psychologists say to us that wrath never goes unexpressed. No one restrains wrath. When your anger reaches this level, you have a strong urge to avenge, to fight back, to defend and not hold back. Wrath wears many faces, all of which are very ugly. Uncontrolled anger then becomes fury. This is the fourth level. Fury introduces violence. It may include a a momentary loss of control, even a temporary loss of sanity. In a moment of fury, we strike out against someone else, such as the case in so many instances of child abuse, 
and domestic violence. We have police officers who are part of our congregation, one of which is here this morning, Kirk. And, and, and they'll tell you in their interaction with people. And I have uh, ridden on a couple occasions with uh, police officers and uh, I have seen them intercept situations that are very hostile. And all of it happened because in a moment of fury, somebody snapped, swung a fist, or lifted up an object to hit somebody, or uh, a child, or a woman. And I thought this is about as intense as anger can get until I learned that there's a fifth level, and that is rage. The most intense level of an angry expression Rage, we are told, is the most dangerous form of anger. Experts say that a person filled with rage can commit murder while hardly realizing he or she is doing it. Psychologically, the person blank, blacks out. Hey, we are living in a tense world. Everybody's got a button. And if you push it, irritation, indignation, wrath, fury, rage. I, I want to be sensitive here. But you listen to the news, and I do too, and we live in the real world in 2008. I saw this week on the news where Hilton, is his last name, confessed to murdering the hiker. Remember that, that news story? Confessed to murdering her. And will go to, to jail for the rest of his life, or for at least 30 years. Okay? But, but here's what one of the commentators says. They said that, that he uh, didn't intend to kill her, but he was after money. And... Uh, he abducted her and took her to an ATM, and in order to access her accounts, he needed her PIN number. She gave him the wrong one. So his indignation went to wrath, and his wrath went to fury, and his fury went to rage because he didn't just bludgeon her to death. He decapitated her. That's, that, that, that is a demonstration of anger. I don't need to spend a lot of time here. You remember the Virginia Tech shootings? Huh? What seemed like a, uh, maybe a little bit from others who spoke about him after the fact, uh, maybe a little bit odd, maybe a little bit disturbed kind of guy, vents his anger by taking life after life after life after life, and had he been given a chance, would do more. Now, the question for you and I this morning is how does all of this relate to Moses and where we live today? And, and I told you that the unbelieving generation was dying out, and there's a new generation. They're only about a year from going into the promised land. And what happens is they are really not much different than the generation who doubted God. The people find themselves, are you in Numbers 20? Say amen if you are. They find themselves in a barren place. Look at verse number 4, chapter 20. They say to Moses and Aaron, why have you brought us up in the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Verse 5, and why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not a place of grain? Pardon me, it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Now, instead of them seeking God and calling upon God to ask him for help, because every time they ask him for help and they were truly sincere, God would help them. Can I get an Amen. Instead of them doing that, what they choose to do is gather together and blame their leader. It happens all the time. It happens now. It happens in school when we don't get our way. It happens on the job when we don't get our way. It happens or we disagree or it happens in the church. Instead of saying, you know, we need to go, go to God and pray about this decision or about this particular thing or what's happening. What a lot of people do, just follow the flesh and they just gather a group together and say, some of us feel this way. 
and some of us usually too. They and their shadow. Good little preaching, little man. Thank you, sir. But but, but in, in being like them, let's 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 accuse our leaders. Now, now let me say this to you: Moses didn't want to be their leader. How many remember reading about that? When God showed up to, with him and to him in the burning bush, you got the wrong man. No, no. No, no. I want you to go to Egypt and tell the Pharaoh, let my people know you got the wrong man. See, I, I can't even talk. I got a stammering lip. I can't. No, I, I want to. He did not want to be their leader. And after putting up with this moaning, groaning bunch for the last 40 years, Moses was probably starting to wish that the Lord had picked somebody else to lead him. He had just lost his sister. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. The last part of it. And Miriam died there and was buried. And that's his flesh and blood. She just died. Instead of their coming to him and offering sympathy for the passing of his sister, they come here like an angry mob wanting answers. Moses, however, goes straight to God and he lays the problem before God. Thank God for that option. Can I get an amen? You see the brilliance of Moses' leadership in this particular verse when you see that as a leader, he and Aaron go straight to the source of where the problem is. And they meet with God. And following the meeting with God, he's able to provide water not only for the people but for the livestock as well. So here's where we are. Why then is this the place also where the Lord reprimands Moses and he tells him that neither he nor Aaron will enter the promised land? Verse 12, please, everybody. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly to the land which I have given them. God says, You didn't trust me. You didn't honor me before the people. You didn't do what is holy in my sight. Therefore Moses had lost out on the promise of God because of disobedience to the word of God. Please, please hear me. God said, Speak to the rock. Speak to it. And out of the rock, I'll give the people and the animals water. Moses is so mad, so angry. He calls them a bunch of rebels. And then he says, must we give you water? We, nothing. He is not giving them anything at all because he can't bring water from rock, no more manna from heaven. He's just human. It's God who does all that. So this business about we, and he's so mad, God says, speak. But he's so mad, he strikes. Now, let me tell you, even if you're Moses, Abraham, or Alan, disobedience cost. Therefore, God forbids Moses' entrance into the promised land. Let me show you something. You would think God is really unfair if it was the first and only instance that Moses got angry. But, but let me show you the story of an angry man. Everybody still with the pastor, say amen. Most of us don't normally think of Moses as a man who gets given to violent temper. But when you see the record of his life, you find that he never really got complete control of his anger. For example, here's one account of his murderous anger. In Exodus 2, 11 and 12, look on the screen. I'll read. You follow. Now, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, he was now 40 years old, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren, so he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Murderous anger. Buried him, hid the evidence, and for the next 40 years, he ran for his life. He became the most wanted man in Egypt. 
Here's the next incident of Moses' story of anger. Unnecessary anger. In Exodus 11 and 8, the Bible says, Then he, Moses, went out from Pharaoh in great, what? Anger. Let me show you what's going on here. Moses had ten different encounters with Pharaoh. And every time Moses went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, God would send a miracle of a plague, of locusts, of frogs. You know what I'm talking about? To prove to Pharaoh that I'm bigger than your magicians and your power. Let my people go. Let me show you what's going on. God had already told Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart deliberately. You don't need to get mad at Pharaoh. All you have to tell Pharaoh is that he is already condemned and there's no way out of this. Therefore, let the people go. But Moses couldn't handle the assignment. Moses is not content to merely give the message to Pharaoh. He proceeded to do it with furious expression beyond God's intention or desire. You know, that's the way the devil would work in us sometimes. You're so mad you could bite nails. And you have a word to say to somebody who made you angry. And you're probably justified in defending yourself. But that, that, that devil gets in and says, words are not enough. Show yourself. So angry, unnecessary anger. That you throw things or hit somebody or curse or swear and get mad. Unnecessary. God says to Moses, you don't have to get fiery mad. I'm taking care of things. We do things and say things and behave in ways that even though we ask forgiveness... The memory haunts the victim and us. And all the time it was so unnecessary. It's quiet. But it's okay. Number three. Here's Moses again. Destructive anger. Verse 15 of chapter 32. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other side they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writings, or the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So it was, verse 19, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Destructive anger. Let me tell you something. What an awesome privilege Moses had. To be on a mountain with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was so much in, enthroned in the presence of God. He didn't eat bread, meat, drink water, fasted for 40 days. He was so much in the What an awesome thing. In the presence of God, when he came down the mountain, his face glowed from the radiance of God. They had to put a veil over his face. And you know what else was so awesome? God gave him the Ten Commandments. God chiseled it out of the rock. Isn't that what it says? God wrote it with his finger. Moses didn't chisel it out of the rock. Moses didn't chisel the words as God gave it to him. God did it. But he came down the mountain. And by this time, the people were fornicating and adulterating because they had built themselves another God, forgetting Moses. And they were sinning and dancing in all kinds of lewd ways. And Moses got so mad, he threw down the Ten Commandments, a table they broke into smithereens. He was so mad 
He burned the golden calf in fire. It melted into molten liquid, and then he grinded it up after it was uh, congealed or, or, or solidified, and he used all the ashes and told them, you wicked rebels, you drink this. I, I think that's pretty angry. Huh? Destructive anger. Now, now, let me tell you something. Just because he's Moses doesn't mean God excuses disobedience. A lot of times we think, well, God excused him for throwing down the tablets. No, no, no. He did not. In chapter 34 of Exodus, God says to Moses, now, go back up the mountain this time. Because I'm going to give you the commandments again. But Moses, this time, you chisel it out. You write it because you broke it. I feel a whoop glory on this bald spot. Yeah. I ain't doing no demonstration of lightning and thunder and fiery fingers and writing on no mountain. You broke the confounded thing. You get you a hammer and you get your chisel and you carve it out. Here's, here's another. You see, I'm, I'm telling you, you can't feel bad at God. Here the fourth time is a man of anger. Rebellious anger. It's chapter 20. I've read it to you. The people complain. No water. Moses and Aaron go to the place of worship. God, what do we do with this people? God says, you take your rod. You gather the people in front of the tabernacle. And you speak to the rock and I'll take care of the rest. He's so mad. Bless God. I'm going to be an elephant in a in a in a, in a store with all kind of glass, a china closet. I'm going to let him know how mad I am. Now, God didn't tell me to do that, but he'll be happy for my zeal. Wrong. You see, listen to me now. In each of these occasions, Moses' anger is really justified because these are wicked people. But here's the problem. He allows that anger to take control of him. We should not be owned by anything or anybody except Jesus Christ. You know, listen to this. We often kid ourselves that because our anger is the fault of somebody else, somebody else made us this mad, we often kid ourselves by thinking that uh, our actions are justified because somebody else made us this mad. Write this down. This is a key word phrase from God. Write it down. Even godly anger can lead to ungodly actions. Say it again. Even godly anger can lead to ungodly actions. Even righteous indignations can lead to wrong actions that God will judge. It's understandable why Moses was mad. I mean, look at all he did for these people. It's understandable. I mean, give, give, give. Prayed for them. They rebelled. Prayed for them. They, they cursed God. Prayed for them. One time God was going to kill them all and start over a brand new bunch of people. And Moses said, no, 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 don't do that, God. It seemed like every time God blessed them, they found a way to backslide. Moses would tarry and he'd pray and he'd ask God for mercy. So it's understandable why he's mad, why he's upset. But when he fails to control his anger and strikes the rock, instead of talking to it, he pays a very heavy penalty. Please hear me now. I, I am saying all this to you to tell you as a church that God's got a promised land for everybody here. And it's not just the promised land of in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore. 
there is that land coming one day. I am quite sure that Moses made it to heaven if anybody did. But he didn't make it to the land of milk and honey that he worked so hard for. And I'm saying to you, God's got a promised land of good health for your body. God's got a promised land for where you pay off your debts and you become the, the lender instead of the borrower. God's got that for his children. God's got a promised land for if your children or anybody in your family are bound by drugs, alcohol, or sexual promiscuity, God has a promised land of deliverance. That's the promises of God. God's got a promised land of a better job, increased financial success. God's got a promised land of your talents and your gifts and abilities. I don't care how old you are. Last Sunday night I preached about Caleb. He's 85 years old and he says to God, give me this mountain. But there are giants in that mountain. Give it to me anyhow. I'm saying that God's got a... I've got dreams and visions beating in my bosom that I am not going to die with because God gave it to me and He's going to bring it to pass. He's got a promised land and I want to go in. If you want to, clap your hands and praise the Lord. But oftentimes we let the world, our flesh, and the devil keep us out of the promised land. And I'm here to expose that. I'm going to give you six tools that you can use to prevent from sinning in anger. Tool number one. Make a conscious decision to rid yourself of anger. Say amen. I don't know what resolutions you made on January 1 this year, but you might have made some. I made some to myself. Make a conscious decision. Some of you said, I want better health. So I'm going to eliminate this and add this. Some of you said, I want to finish this level of my education. So it may be high school, it may be college, it may be graduate. Somebody says, I want to start my own business. Well, you've got to make a conscious decision. Somebody says, I want to quit smoking, quit drinking, and I want to, I want to, and then you make a conscious. Same with anger. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Say amen. If God told you that he didn't want that in your life, how many know if God told you he didn't want it, he'll give you the power to overcome it? Raise your hands and say amen. Yes. God will not give you an assignment without giving you the Holy Ghost to make it happen. Let me show you something else. Colossians 3 and 8 says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these, you ought to put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And I'll tell you something. A cussing Christian is not a Christian. It's an oxymoron. I don't care if you've been a Christian a long time and you claim to be spirit-filled. Your body is a temple of the Lord and your vocabulary ought to represent holiness. All this filth and nastiness. There's some movies that after, that boy, I've, I've rented some movies and my wife and I, because we wanted to have a little relaxing time and, and, and we know the kind of rating and boy, we start into that bunch of junk and we feel filthy and nasty. And I know there's screening mechanisms and we have learned that too and so we're staying away from some of the, from, you, the Bible says, put them out of your mouth. Some of that language only intensifies the fire of anger. Let, let me show you. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. Okay? You sound like you're angry. I'm not. I've got nice jokes I can tell you, but later. Psalm 37 and 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Make a decision. Zip your lip. Here's number two. Don't let the sun go down your wrath. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. God understands that anger is an emotion. 
Sometimes you've got to get angry against sin. That's a good emotion. But don't be angry and sin. And settle the account before you go to bed if you're angry. In most of your homes, there's a master bedroom and there's also a couch in another part of your house. Preach, little man. Thank you for encouraging me. Or something else called a doghouse. I've been married to my wife over 29 years. There have been times when I needed to make sure she saw it right, which of course would be my way. There are times I've had to bring her into the right thinking and right mind that I have. But she's not been willing to do that on some occasions, and so I've become a little irritated. And I'm only being very facetious, you understand? And then there's the option of the couch. But I, I'm going to tell you that never one time. Now, I might have slept on the couch because I'm sick or because I couldn't sleep. But I'm learning that God says, don't go to bed angry or irritated. Let, let, you want to tell you why? Let me tell you why. Because when you go to bed angry or irritated, you give the devil a chance to build a stronghold in your dreams and in your minds. Give no place to the devil. Clap your hands and thank God. But pastor, you don't know what he said. You don't know what she said. Yes, you may not be able to control what they say and what they do, but you can control how you respond to them. Don't go to bed mad and angry. Ask forgiveness. Swallow your pride. Say, I'm a child of God and I'm bigger than this. And while I may not be able to talk about it now without getting upset, I want to tell you that it's going to be okay. And we'll talk about it later. Number three. Ask God for wisdom. Can I get an amen? Ecclesiastes 7 and 9 says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Now, I didn't call you no fool. But if you're angry, the shoe fit. Next, Proverbs 29 and 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. It's better to shut your mouth when you get angry instead of venting all your emotions and making a, a fool of yourself and regretting it. Better be silent. Sometimes silence is golden because sometimes when we open our mouth, we confirm what they already knew. Number four, ask God for self-control. Oh, how many know? Here on the screen is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. There's a law against driving above 70 miles an hour, 75 miles an hour. There's law against stealing. There's law against uh, burglary. There's, there's law against killing. But against this, these things of the fruit of the Spirit, especially self-control, there is no law. God wants you to have a lot of self-control. Give me an amen. Amen. God help me to know even if I have the winning argument, to be still. God, let me practice self-control. Because listen to me. Out of anger, I have visited people in jail. They're there because of the product of anger. I have, I have seen people in the bitter throes of divorce because of anger. There are people who have murdered because of anger. Look, I, I'm trying to tell you, God will give you self-control. 
You, you, you see, if you get out of control, you say hurtful and terrible words, and you realize you've done the wrong thing, you might be able to ask the person to forgive you. But you know what? Our memory is better than a computer. And we can replay those terrible words even though we've forgiven them. It's best that you've never even voiced them. Number four, five, please. Here, here's a fifth. And then there's one more. Be slow to act when your temper is hot. James said in James 1.19, everybody read out loud with me on the count of three. Okay, look up here on the screen on the count of three. One, two, three. So then, my beloved brethren, that every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I, I like that. Don't you, don't, you, don't you think that makes a lot of sense, church? Oh, my, 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 my. In my day planner, I have this day planner like you do, and I put all my dates and times. And the front page of my day planner, as you open the cover, I have in red letter a post-it of this verse. Because I meet people in all kinds of situations and all kinds of circumstances. And I also meet people who don't necessarily always agree with what I feel the Lord is saying. Or other issues. And so, if I'm facing something that is by an appointment, somebody coming to see me, that may be a little bit contentious. A little bit uh, divisive. I look at what I have written in my Bible, but on, on my day planner, it says, be swift to hear. Be careful, Alan. Be slow to speak. Be slow to wrath. Because I've opened up my mouth in the past, and I've done major damage, and I regret it. And I can't go back and take the words back, but I can ask for forgiveness. I have let my little Indian... And I've hurt people. So I need this every day. Slow to act. And then there are other times I need this too because there are times when, when I've had people say, Pastor, that wasn't right. And you are the shepherd of the house. You're the keeper of the gate. You're the watchman on the wall, Pastor. And look what that person said or did against the church and against you. You're the man of God. You've got the sword of the Lord. Why don't you slice and dice them? Well, yeah, I've had people say, go ahead. Make some julienne fries out of <laughs> whatever that is. Huh? You see the commercial? You're the man of God. Call fire down from heaven. And I want to tell you sometimes I wanted to. But he said, swift to hear, slow to speak. Man, I've been so mad at the way some men have treated their women or their wife. Pardon me, wife. Or parents have treated their children that I wanted to get the elders together and lay hands on them suddenly. Suddenly. Pam! Pick him up like Benny Hinn does. Pam! Pick him up. You're laughing because you felt the same way, hadn't you? But no, that's not. The last thing and the final thing is. I feel that chorus coming on. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Think about that. Ah, Yes. I like this guy. Learn to be compassionate and to love fully. Can I, can I show you something? But thou, O God, a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. I am quitting. Look at this. Look at this verse. The Lord is merciful 
Psalm 103.8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If God gave us what we deserved, we'd be ashes. But he gave us what we need, mercy. And he said, now I give it to you, give it to somebody else. Stan, would you please? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. I came to church for this. Yes, you did. Because you want to go to the promised land. And I do too. Oh, blessed Jesus. Can you sing a, a, a phrase or two of that? Usually I start on the wrong key. That's why I want to do start. There we go. Everybody? Wonderful peace Coming down from the Father above Sweep over my spirit Sweep over my spirit forever I pray In fathomless In fathomless Look at me now. Look at me. All right. I, I'm going down right here because I need to be right here. This is a safe place. Pastor, I need to be down there in response to the message this morning. I'm on my way to heaven, Pastor. But I just I just need to I just need to leave some, some stuff back in Canaan. But not Canaan, Egypt. I'm going to Canaan. I need to deal with some of these issues and I want to bring them and leave them in the altar. Come meet me here. Sing it again, Pastor Zach. Meet me here for prayer for us. Come from where you are. Pastor, I want to leave it at the altar. Come on. Come on a little closer if you can. I'm going to step up so I can give you room. Just come on and bring it. Bring it. I'm I'm not giving you a microphone and embarrassing you. I'm just giving you access. It may be that somebody hurts you and you can't forgive them, but you need to do that. Maybe somebody demonstrated their anger to you and have left you in a frazzled and you need to forgive them. Forever I pray in fathomless billows of love. Those of you that come to the altar, look at me just a moment. Hallelujah for you. Thank God. You are not a heathen. You are not a reprobate. You are human. I'm human. If the devil would have his way before we get out of the parking lot onto the road, he'd stir irritation and anger because of the way somebody drives or said it did. I pronounce you by faith blessed for the purposes of you come. Bow everybody. I'm going to pray over you now. Father, these people have said, I'm leaving it at the altar. I'm coming to the tabernacle of God. And I'm ex-